All right. So here we go. Just going to hop right into it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, apparently, oh, I forgot to turn on the music. Here we go. Music. Yeah, there we go. Got to get a little bit of that ambiance going. Uh, <laughs> hey. All right. Uh, hey, y'all. This is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism rack up. Today, we're going to be talking about Man, I really just fumbled that whole one. Your weekly knock activism wrap up. Um, but this week, it's less about activism, more about the thing that we keep talking about every fucking week. Uh, and that is COVID-19 and how it is ravaging everything. Um, well, yep. everything in this country, at least. Uh, I did just read through a bunch of Josie Huang's tweets from Taiwan. Um, and I'm extremely jealous of uh, what you can have when you have a functioning government. Looking at you. I mean, there, there there are some drawbacks to the Taiwanese model, but I will grant you I, they've handled this pandemic much better. Yes, they have. And yes, there are. Um, yeah, that being said, we're going to mainly be talking about COVID-19, but there are a couple of other things coming up. Uh, there is a call to action for y'all at the end of the show today, talking about the County Board of Supervisors and the meeting that they're going to be having tomorrow, which is why I now have my updated title here to be the once again live tweeter, because I, after this hiatus of a few weeks, uh, there's a meeting for me to live tweet. So I will be hopping on that tomorrow morning. Uh, but there is a bunch of stuff that you can do to help out with the Cancel Rent Collective and folks from Healthy LA Coalition who are all pushing to get the rent canceled. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, a uh, well, we'll save the fun bit for the end because um, there's a lot of really bad shit to get through. Um, yeah. But we're also going to talk briefly about a uh, piece in Knock.LA that is making the rounds right now uh, is quickly heading to the top of our most viewed articles. Good job, Mike Dickerson. Uh, also going to touch and, and on thank quickly. you to thank you to Adam Conover for the the massive boost on that one. Yeah, Robert Reich retweeting Adam Conover. You kind oh, of love shit. to see it. Yeah, it, that right. happened. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Julian Assange and what is going on with all of that shit. Uh, but yeah, as promised, first things first. Let's talk about the truly horrifying state of affairs in LA County. Oh, I'm sorry, I almost forgot. Squirrel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I was just uh, I was just watching Trump's very unhinged press conference. Well, oh, yeah, <laughs> rally. I always wanted to call it a press conference, but his rally in Georgia for a uh, Leffler and uh, Purdue. And Leffler. I mean, fuck, if only Ossoff <laughs> and Warnock were actually the radical Democrat communists that he right. says they are like, Ugh. if only they did want to attack and dethrone God, that would make life so much better for everyone. Um, but yeah, it was nuts. And, you know, I, I mentioned this because like January 6th is a big date on everyone's calendar, not just because that's the day that Congress officially like accepts the votes from the Electoral College and Joe Biden officially becomes like the president elect as far as like the actual constitutional mechanisms are concerned. Uh, but the Proud Boys are planning a big rally uh, yeah, and like, you know, violence in Washington, D.C. And it's going to be really, 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 really bad. Uh, because they're just out to hurt people. Um, and I don't really know what the answer to that is. Like, fighting with the Proud Boys in the street doesn't really seem to do a whole lot. Uh, trying to leave them alone just sort of opens them up to be able to do more violence against whoever they target. Uh, you know, that's the problem with, like, accelerationists is, like, until you take that engine block out, you can't really stop them. Like, there's there's not a good option there. Um, other than I think maybe a tactical therapeutic response unit to just like force all of these guys into therapy to confront their very deep seated, like anger and violence issues. But I don't think we're getting funding for that anytime soon. Nope. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of crazy watching that. And, um, 
I can't wait for Trump TV to start. So we just have that pumped into oh, all of God. the boomers homes 24 seven, uh, just selling Trump stakes and, you know, gold coin <laughs> scams and also trying to get Trump reelected in 2024. I'm calling it now. If he's alive, he's running again in 2024. I am making that prediction. This is not the last Trump campaign we've seen. No, I don't think yeah. any of his kids will ever get elected, even Ivanka. Like, I don't think they can ever win office. But Daddy Trump is definitely, yeah, she's got, she really doesn't, though. She's actually no, not very no, charismatic. That's what I said. She, has, she ain't got charisma. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. She has yeah, zero she, charisma. Yeah, she's not going to, she's not going to win very many votes if she tries. No. And also, I think she's smart enough to understand that it's a lot more lucrative to just be a con artist in the, the you know, private market than it is it? to yeah, try yeah. and take that into like government service because like oh yeah trump was an aberration like you need a special set of circumstances for a guy that's that big a fuck up to to end up as the president um Cat. so that's cool yeah um Locke is doing her thing uh after yelling at me <laughs> about getting fed you know on the bean dad discourse i i oh no tried to teach her how to use a can opener um but uh. she would have just screamed at me uh until i fed her so uh, being a weak cat dad, I decided no. I'm just going to I'm going to treat my fur child like they should be, and not do some borderline <laughs> child abuse by trying to shame someone into learning a skill that I, the adult in the room, should teach them. You know, just if anyone's wondering about what the end point of the bean dad discourse is, it's uh, don't be an asshole, and when somebody asks you how to do something that you know how to do, teach them how to do it. Uh, otherwise, you're literally going to destroy your career overnight being like, look at what a dipshit I am. Uh, but yeah, anyways, I've kind of rambled on here for a bit too long. Good, How's your good comeuppance for him. Uh, I got to say, the, the discourse was thriving yesterday. That was some wild shit. I managed to get blocked by the VC dude today uh, without saying anything. Just I just hit like on a few of the replies to that absolute dipshit, and I got blocked oh, for it. The yeah, the guy who was uh, commenting on the the alphabet union. The alphabet union, yeah. So that that was I found that wildly amusing. That all it took was hitting fave on a couple of tweets, and bam, blocked. Gotta love it. What a what a what a what a uh, champion of the uh, you know the the uh, fucking I can't remember the goddamn term. I mean, point. he's got he's got marketplace of ideas. There we go. Yeah, he's got important venture capitalist things to do. Like, look at who's <laughs> liking tweets that are critical of him and then blocking those people, or probably more likely underpaying an intern to block those people for him. I do feel like that's what happened. Um, that there's some poor sap that got stuck with the responsibility of if anybody likes more than two replies to this tweet, you block them. Um, cause I definitely liked like 10 replies that were all just dragging him for being a massive piece of shit. Get um, me a UK Ukrainian programmer to program me a bot to block the people who like <laughs> these replies. But yeah, the discourse was weird. Uh, that, and apparently, uh, petite women have no, um, no agency in their dating lives. That was an interesting thing to learn from the discourse this weekend. It was weird. Yeah. It was very weird. Yeah. Um, but on to much more depressing things than absolute toxicity of everything Twitter related. Yeah. Uh, shit. Very bad. Very, very bad. Uh, let's just hop straight on into it here. We're looking at the state of California is up to, and again, this graphic, uh, LA times I take the graphics, I update them. And then I say something different in the audio, whatever it's a podcast, but we're on Twitch. It's weird. Um, as of this recording, we are now at a staggering 2,393,257 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. That is 
201,380 new cases in the past week. We've had, uh, you know, just last week, we went through some really insane numbers and we're still looking at insane numbers, but right now, uh, we, you know, our totals for yesterday were kind of weird. They were 22,436, which was a bit of an aberration off of the more than 60,000 cases we saw a couple of times, uh, mm -hmm. in the last week or so. Um, though it does seem to have leveled off a bit in the 35,000 ish range, the seven day average is right around 37 ish thousand. Um, but weirdly enough, they also haven't reported any totals for today so far, which I'm just guessing that that means that there's a bit of a delay in the uh, in the the tubes, you know, yeah. the series of well, tubes that is the internet. There was there was a couple of days where they shut down testing. It's been kind of hard actually after the new year to get testing. Um, I myself yeah. was trying to get tested this week, oh, and I right. couldn't book a test for today or tomorrow. I had to wait till Wednesday. Uh, when I logged on this morning, it was literally no tests available anywhere in LA County, um, which yeah, I don't know. It seems can... really bad. I'm actually gonna yeah. Here's the here's the video. video. I I yeah. Just nothing, Ooh, nothing, let's, let's move nothing. It over there. And they are zeros. doing the like they are doing the the at home like testing pilot, but I kind of don't want to use up one of those tests because those are really for people who can't leave their house. And like I have a car, I can drive to a testing site. I'm reasonably healthy, like. I can go through that stuff, but if you aren't in that, uh, if you don't have those options, there is at-home testing, and I would say, you know, take advantage of it, or if you know people who are vulnerable, who can't leave the house, can't leave the house, uh, then, you know, let them know how to sign up for those tests. The turnaround's about 48 hours, so it's not as quick as, like, the 24-hour test, but, you know, honestly, 48 hours still isn't too bad. My last one was actually, the turnaround was about 60 hours. It took them two and a half days to get me the results. Uh, from Dodger Stadium, which, by the way, they fucking closed the Dodger t Stadium test site over the weekend because they're rejiggering how uh, the flow happens, I understand. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get a test in this week there and uh, report back next week with how it went because uh, it's been kind of shit every time I've been. Um, yep. We're still seeing a massively disproportionate impact of uh, of the new cases impacting communities of color, specifically the Latino communities. Uh, across the state of California, uh, we're looking at almost it's what 5.6, almost 5.7 percent uh, of the Latino population has had a confirmed case of COVID-19 in the state of California, which is absolutely wild. Uh, the next highest is the black population in the state, which is getting close to 3 percent. Uh, white and Asian populations are around 2 percent. Uh, still fucking staggering. Uh, yeah. The positivity rate uh, is truly astounding. We're still hovering at 13.5% right now. Uh, I believe, what was it that we you had mentioned, uh, Squirrel? Oh, yeah. Uh, as of, yeah, as of uh, 5.57 today, uh, it looks like uh, COVID positivity has reached around 21% uh, as far as like testing rates go. And like, if you're doing tests and it's higher than 10%, that's like super red zone, scary, dangerous. Yeah. That means one in every 10 people who's coming in for a test is Correct. testing positive. Here in LA County, it's now two in every 10 people or a little bit higher than two in every 10 people. Uh, and that means that our R, I, I, the number of people that each infected person can infect going is going yeah. way, way higher. And if that R gets to R2, that literally means we're in an exponential increase, right? Because like two becomes four, four becomes 16, 16 becomes 64. Like those numbers, you know, 
drop a penny, pick it up. Now you have two pennies, then you have four pennies, then you have 16 pennies, compound interest being the most powerful force in the universe next to gravity, as Einstein would say. God damn it. Whenever we get you talking about financial shit, it always gets very, very The rule of 72, <laughs> learn it, hate Stop it, it now. because it is Stop literally it the thing that is killing your finances. <laughs> and the world. Um, yeah. fun, fun story there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, everything is, is, is massively fucked. Uh, we, there, there was an article that came out a little while ago about the, the, the mayor positing the idea that maybe we had the UK variant of uh, COVID-19 here in Los Angeles, given that they did find people with the UK variant in San Bernardino. Uh, I can safely make a bet. I would say that there is at least some of that UK variant of COVID-19 spreading wildly through California, specifically in Los Angeles County, because they won't shut down the fucking airport. And we'll get more into that yeah. in a little bit here. But Though they uh, have, in California, the only documented cases of that variant so far are in San Diego County, and then I believe I a little bit farther. Uh, there also was San Bernardino, but San Diego oh, yeah, is yeah. where they first found it in California. Uh, the first documented cases in the United States was actually in your home state of Colorado. Yes, it was. Um, so it's it's moving around in a little bit of a weird way. Um, but yeah, it's now spread to the UK. It's confirmed to be in South Africa. Um, it's going to make its way around the world really, really quickly because it's about 50% more infectious. Um, and they're not exactly sure and, why that's happening. But And the, uh, you it's, know it's going around in Colorado like crazy right now because the the, the case that they did find it was somebody who didn't travel. So yeah. if it's somebody who didn't travel, that means that they caught it from somebody else who either caught it from somebody else who did travel or traveled themselves. Like it's, there's, it's already doing community spread in Colorado, yeah. which means that but, it is not going to get caught and stamped down. But in a, in a fun little, like, you know, twist of fate, uh, the UK just went on pretty much entirely in an entire nation lockdown. Uh, schools yep. are closed. Pretty much everything's closed. Everyone is under stay-at-home orders. Uh, meanwhile, yep. the malls are still open in California. So if you uh, don't want to wear a mask and you want to go harass people at the Century City Mall, uh, you are fully allowed to do that. Like LAPD is not going to stop you from, from doing that. And in fact, Bloomingdale staff will escort out anybody that confronts you about doing that. So um, yep. mixed messages, I would say, a little bit here in LA. <laughs> oh, uh, side note, Boris Johnson's dad uh, just applied for French citizenship. Uh, because apparently Brexit was not actually something that was good for the entire Johnson family. Um, yeah, just let that one simmer for a minute. Uh, anyway, we're, we're currently at all, looking at... It's all been downhill <laughs> since the Battle of Agincourt. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh my God, we are such nerds. Um, yeah, we're looking at something like 20,000 people in uh, intensive care and uh, other hospitalizations for... COVID-19 in the state, um, almost 5,000 uh, ICU patients with COVID-19 right now. Uh, the available ICU beds is still hovering right around 1337, according to the statistics from the California Department of Public Health. Um, but we also know that that availability, you know, we, we talked about this before, you got to factor in that that availability is is based upon like a predetermination that you must have some number of ICU beds available for people who get into car accidents, people who you know, have their appendix decide to rupture on them. People who are going into any other number of life-threatening circumstances uh, and need that kind of care. Uh, and we're going to get more into that detail in a minute here with some really depressing shit that uh, you should point it out to me, Squirrel. Um, uh, yeah, and I will, I, I, I'm going to tell a story real quick. Um, I've sure. been doing, I've been answering some calls for assistance out to like some encampments and stuff. And we had a guy that we were uh, treating 
who really needed to get back to see a doctor. Like he really, they'd seen him once. They basically gave him some antibiotics and like kicked him out. And it took four of us, including two people staying at the hospital with him for like six hours to advocate for this guy to get admitted. And, you know, even when the healthcare system is functioning, if you're unhoused in the city of Los Angeles, it's really hard for you to access the healthcare you need. This is getting a lot harder and a lot worse. And we will not ever, we will not for a while know the total toll. Like it's going to take some very smart people combing through these statistics and like all of this health data in the next couple of years to tell us how many people lost their lives. And like when we talk about black and brown communities and the vulnerable communities that are losing a lot of people, this is going to have generational impacts. Like the number of people dying disproportionately in areas like South LA and East LA that's mm-hmm. going to matter a lot in the next few years. Like that is really, yeah. really, really going to impact them. And if we thought gentrification without a pandemic death toll was bad, gentrification after this is going to be absolutely off the charts. Like it's oh, people are going to be hurting so much and the vulture capitalists are just going to have a field day. It's going to be a feast for crows, as they say. Go go read some Naomi Klein, folks. Uh, disaster capitalism. Yeah. That's feel- what we're going to be seeing a lot of. Feel good reads. That's what we're going to suggest. Nothing, nothing but vibes, positive vibes. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, ICU availability, uh, is, uh, fucked. Um, don't really know how else to put that. Uh, the Bay area is down to 7.9%, uh, which means that they're in a much worse condition than they were back in the beginning of December. Uh, Sacramento is, is, uh, now dipped down to 12.1%. So they've been hovering right around that 15% threshold of, panic mode whereas san joaquin valley and southern california have just flatlined the fuck out at zero for like ever uh northern california is actually doing pretty well still hovering at right about 30 percent. so good on northern california for having this stuff uh more under control uh than the rest of us and so that's every pretty much every major population center is still under a stay-at-home order from the the state um is what that means essentially right uh yes basically uh they're they're in the the purple category i don't know what the fucking color codes mean they don't mean anything um because they don't actually enforce anything but yes technically everyone is under a stay home uh stay at home order unless you're in northern california um and yeah i apologize there i I forgot to close my window and turn off the fan so you get to hear the motorcycles that drive by uh blasting their mufflers in downtown la uh when you look at the cumulative totals by county lassen county imperial county and kings county are still leading the charge with clusterfuck totals of 15% of the population in Lassen County being infected with COVID-19 or having been infected with COVID-19. Imperial and Kings County are at 11 and 12% uh, respectively, but in, I've said them backwards, sorry. And uh, LA and San Bernardino are catching up real quick with eight and nine and a half percent respectively. So it's real bad, folks. It's real, real bad. Um, when you look at the deaths by day in the state of California, Holy shit. Uh, we're up to 26,675 total deaths due to the virus. 87 yesterday, 38 so far today. Um, those are probably going to go up because our yeah. seven day moving average in the state is hovering right around 330, which is terrifying. So yeah, it's and really, LA really counties, bad. LA County is accounting for more than half of those deaths on a daily yes. basis. We, uh, it looks like we finally stopped setting records, but for pretty much every day for a two week span, LA County was setting brand new records every day, starting with the number of 130 deaths in one day, and I believe peaking around 240 deaths in a day. Just staggering, staggering numbers. 
Yeah, uh, we're at a total of 818,698 cases here in LA County so far. 11,513 new cases reported yesterday. Uh, we've had 83,838 new cases since we recorded one week ago. Uh, when you look at the seven day moving average, we're hovering right around uh, 15,000 cases per day on average. Uh, we did have a day where there was no reporting. We had then the next day there was a makeup of uh, almost 30,000 cases reported. Uh, it's really, really bad. Um, like, holy shit bad. Uh, intensive care and other hospitalizations. ICU is hovering right around 1750. Uh, other hospitalizations, nearly 8,000. It's, it's, it's very bad. Availability down to 326. It's been that way for a little bit. Um, but that still counts as 0% because they need to have those beds for other things. Um, when we're looking at the deaths, we're up to 10,773 deaths in the county due to the virus. 85 yesterday, we did see nearly 300 deaths in a single day. And that was after like 260 and that, that was after like 240 the two days prior. So we had three days in a row that were just fucking staggering death counts. And it's truly terrifying. Uh, things have calmed down a little bit, but I don't expect that to get dramatically better for a while. Uh, like I said, we had 85 yesterday and our seven day average is right around 185, 180, which means that seven and a half people are dying every fucking hour in LA County. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's only going to accelerate like the, the new yeah. year's, um, surge is going to be terrible. Like if you saw those videos yep. of Instagram influencers having parties, uh, I know there were a lot of events that I saw, uh, not in my immediate neighborhood, but, you know, generally around. It's not hard to to find people congregating. Downtown San Diego's Gaslight District, uh, even though it's not supposed to be open, bars and restaurants are still open. When you hop across the other side of the country, bars and clubs in Miami are just openly flouting the laws, oh, yeah. even though Florida is like COVID surge is, is just absolutely off the charts. Um, just all across this nation, the failure of our political leadership to get a handle on this early and act forcefully is killing people. It's just, yes. I, I, I'm out of, I'm out of witticisms, Chris. It's just, it's just killing people. It is. Um, we're seeing this, so following up on what we talked about last week, the prison population, uh, caseload for the state prisons. And again, this does not include tallies from federal prisons, immigration detention facilities, or local jails. So LA County jails are not included in this at all. Uh, is still hovering at right around 14, it's 1,403 cases. When we talked about it last week, it was just under 1,400 cases. Um, I don't trust these numbers. No, I don't. I, I smell a load of bull ploppy. Um, you know, yeah. especially because like when it comes to LA County, Sheriff Villanueva had to be sued by the Civilian Oversight Commission to even show up to talk about these numbers. Like that's yeah. one reason you saw a gigantic spike in numbers in the LA County like jail cases is because the sheriff's office hid the numbers and then finally had to report them all. And even they, then, we know we're getting an undercount. Oh yeah, and then he also was selling all that bullshit earlier in the pandemic, talking about uh, saying that that inmates were spitting in each other's mouths to intentionally spread the virus. Like, fuck you, Villanueva, you absolute sack of shit. Um, what a terrible, terrible sheriff. Uh, really quickly, yeah. I removed most of these maps, uh, so we're only going to go through the last month of data. Um, but it gets, uh, it gets, it gets much darker. Uh, oh, they're not in order apparently. I apologize. That's kind of a useless thing. It got really bad. This is this is this week's. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot that's, of dark spots all across. Yeah, it's a lot darker state. than it should be for those of you yeah. listening on the podcast. Like 
the only county that is sort of, well, there's a couple of small counties in the Central Valley that are a little bit lighter blue, and then kind of close up to the Oregon borders a little bit lighter blue. But any place where there's a major population center, the cases are very dense, and those counties are very dark, and they're not getting any lighter anytime soon. Yep. Uh, with, I mean, Sacramento and San Francisco look like they're doing all right-ish, uh, but LA and like uh, Barstow, San Bernardino, all of that is fucked. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's not look at more maps because they're, they make me sad. Um, let's talk about something else that will make me also sad. Um, yeah, so this, oh, okay. this order so hold came on. out. Well, yeah, so before we do this, we're going to call Terry in here. Uh, because oh. we had some, yeah, sorry, Chris. Um, we're going to call Terry in because yeah, this, uh, what we're going to talk to now, like for most of the rest of the show, we're just talking COVID stuff. Like there's a lot that we need What's to cover. Up, I'm, I'm calling in Terry here because a new order came down from LA County's medical director. And just for those of you that aren't like super familiar with the way that like 911 or EMTs or paramedics work, your ultimate, like what you're doing out there in the field is determined by medical director. And the medical director is a doctor who decides like policy for pre-hospital care. I care when you're getting like when an ambulance shows up or like paramedics are treating you, how they treat you is decided county by county. And L.A. County's uh, medical director just put out an order that is really, really, really scary. So let's go ahead and pull that up. Chris. If we can put that up full screen, that would be that would be great. You want full screen? Yeah, because right. it's, it's a lot of text. So it people is. should be able to read it. We're going to read it anyways, but. Um, for those Womp. of you watching, there we go. It's on top yeah. of our faces. So uh, to, uh, to read through this real quick, and then I'm going to turn to Terry for some comment, but quote, effective immediately due to the severe impact of COVID-19 pandemic on EMS and 911 receiving hospitals, adult patients, 18 years of age or older in blunt traumatic and non-traumatic out of hospital cardiac arrest shall not be transported if return of spontaneous circulation is not achieved in the field. Please see below for specific guidance according to the mechanism of arrest. So we're going to go go down to the, the next paragraph. All right, all right. Whee. So uh, for the next one, for patients who do not meet reference 814 criteria for immediate determination of death, EMS shall continue to initiate resuscitation and manage uh, 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 out-of-hospital care. Uh, cardiac, cardiac arrest, non-traumatic resuscitation shall be, co shall be continued for a minimum of 20 minutes or until futility is reached. For patients who do not meet termination of uh, actually that part I don't need to read da 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 uh, patients who do not achieve field ROSOC which is return of spontaneous circulation and maintain spontaneous perfusion after initiation of post ROSC care a minimum of five minutes shall not be transported patients in traumatic full arrest who meet criteria uh, for determination of death shall not be resuscitated and shall be determined dead on scene and not transported so that was a lot of technical Oof. jargon but. Oof. I'm now going to turn it over to Terry, who, like me, has worked in the EMT field and the EMS field. We're going to talk about what this means and why is this a, a change. So, Terry, as, a, as an English doer, can you translate what I just read? Uh, things are really bad. And if, <laughs> if, an ambulance, if an ambulance shows up for you, if your heart is not beating, the, the chances are, are almost 100% that you will not be going to the hospital the, the paramedics uh, will will leave your body for uh, either funeral home or or morgue services to to pick you up, which is not at all what family members or you yourself expect when you dial nine one one for an ambulance. Yeah, 
And uh, the, the reason for this is, is when somebody's heart stops, like is CPR going to bring them back on its own? Uh, very, very rarely. Um, you know, so when you're getting, uh, you're calling 911, you're getting a, a county or, or, a, or, a, or a fire department ambulance that shows up, they have the, the first line medications, um, basically everything that the, that the emergency room is going to do for you. Um, you know, they're going to give you, um, again, first line medications, they're going to innovate you, uh, you know, that there are things that can be done. Um, but, uh, in non-traumatic arrest, a lot of times it's, it's a, a blockage of an artery. It's, it's other things that require surgical intervention. Um, and those are the kinds of things that are going to be, that can happen at, at the ER basically. Um, so New York did this, uh, back in March or April, I think, um, where they had these same orders that if, if you weren't, if you didn't have circulation in the field, you weren't going to the hospital. <clears throat> this pretty much it's, it's the, the county medical director throwing up their hands and saying the entire county is in a mass casualty incident, yeah. right? Um, because this is the kind of triage, this is the kind of triage that happens when two or three ambulances show up and there's 20 patients. Um, this is the kind of sorting that, that happens. But it makes sense. I mean, uh, to, to be really callous about it, um, it makes sense because if ambulances are being bounced around hospital to hospital, uh, with nowhere to drop off a patient, if they're if it's taken eight hours to get a patient into the the emergency room, the thing about um, the way that the, the healthcare system works is you once you take over care of a patient, um, so squirrel, you're going to be an EMT. Once you once your ambulance at that level has a patient, you cannot give your patient over to anyone with less training and certification yeah. than you have. Um, when I was uh, with the fire department, the, the, the advanced life support ambulances, those are paramedics. You know, I was a paramedic for a number of years. Um, you know, like the my ambulance would not be able to give my patient to your ambulance. Yep. Uh, you know, so the not only unless one that, of you like hopped in and came with us. Yeah, if, right. And and if uh, you know, so uh, uh, an advanced life support ambulance, they they can't give their patient to anybody except the hospital. And if the hospital can't take them, then you're. This is why we have. Um, ambulances waiting for eight hours to try and offload a patient. And that has domino effects down through the entire emergency services through the city, yeah. right? I mean, if the ambulances are waiting for eight hours, they can't respond to other calls. It's just, it's awful. And, yeah. uh, and with, with the, the limit, limited resources, it's the only thing you can do. Yeah. And so, so what, what essentially is happening here, like if we have a patient, you know, that codes in the ambulance that like, their heart stops beating and it's clear like this person is no longer maintaining hemostasis, no longer, or and no longer like staying alive as it were, we would still keep trying to resuscitate them until we get them to the hospital because in the field, we're not qualified to make diagnoses. We're not qualified to look at someone who's like not obviously dead and say that person's dead, stop trying. We have to get them to a doctor who would look at the patient, evaluate the case and say, we're calling time of death. This is changing that. So now after 20 minutes of CPR, if your grandparents not breathing after a heart attack, we don't keep working on them. And this is traumatic, not just for families. This is traumatic for like EMTs and the paramedics because we're not out there doing this because we want to leave dead people in their homes because we don't want to get that person better. Right. But hospitals need, they don't have the resources they need. Like when you come in with like a major artery blocked, that's six, eight hours of surgery. 
if that entire hospital is filled up with patients that have COVID, they want to don't want to send somebody to surgery because one, that's a lot of staff off the floor. Two, that patient's very vulnerable, and now you're going to have them sitting in a ward with other COVID patients, like even patients who aren't in the ICU ward. Three, you'll have nurses that have to attend to them and take care of them. All of the all of the the finite resources that go into running a hospital are stretched so thin that the things that could generally be survivable to an extent are no longer considered survivable. And when we talk about triage, you know, people sort of know this process, but what it actually is when you're a first responder is making decisions who's living and who's dying. You go patient to patient, you determine is this person savable or are they not? And if they're not, you tag them black and you move on. And the chance of that person getting care is pretty much nil. They won't get seen until every other person that might be savable can be seen. And these are really terrible, really hard, shitty decisions but we're up against the wall. There aren't enough ambulances. There aren't enough EMT crews. There aren't enough nurses. There aren't enough hospital beds. We're literally, and we're not even into the worst part of it yet. So I don't know how much worse this is going to get, but this also applies to, you know, when they said blunt and penetrating trauma, like if you're in a car accident and your steering wheel like crushes your chest, you may be left to die in the field. If you get shot and you bleed out and your heart stops while we're trying to treat you, We'll make some attempts, but then our orders, the laws that we have to follow as first responders, are after that 20 minutes, we call the doctor and say, hey, what do we do? And the doctor's going to say, it's over. This is the yeah. time of death. Contact the coroner. And that's yeah. it. And then we move on to the next call. Like, this is going to break people in the field. It's going to suck. It, no, it really is. Uh, because it, 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 it means that when you go into, into the house, to into the back bedroom or wherever the patient is, like you're probably not even going to be loading them up and, and heading for the ambulance because you know the 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 odds. I mean, let's be honest. The odds of a resuscitation in the field are pretty low, and so like you're you're really just going to make a mess in the bedroom and for 20 minutes and then call and then well you pack up and you go on to the next one and and that does become incredibly traumatic for everyone involved, um, uh, the medical workers also, right? I mean. Uh, when we're thinking about, <clears throat> I was reading uh, about the the nurses strikes that were going on and some of the the condition working conditions for the for the nurses, and one of the things that uh, you know I guess I hadn't really thought of or or you know whatever, but like the the suicide rate of health healthcare professionals um, is yeah. is going up right because people can't deal with the with the trauma, which is not to put one person's trauma versus the trauma of the family and, and everybody else, but it's just incredibly difficult on everybody. Yeah. Now, this is the the thing I think the pandemic showing more than anything else is our lack of mental health care in this society is really going to come back and bite us in the ass. You know, it's really going to burn people out. It's going to make it much harder to get people to go into these professions. It's going to be harder to sustain the number of workers that we have in these professions and not just through attrition by death, but through attrition of people not wanting to do this work anymore. You know, when your yeah. job is to save lives and you can't do that and you mm -hmm. fail at that every day, it has a psychological impact on you. It has a toll on you. It's not easy stuff. And it, it takes a lot of therapy and processing to get through it. But that also means you're taking crews off the board. You know, right. if a pair of, of people that work in ambulance need to take a couple of days off to process and see their therapist and like work through PTSD symptoms, that's a couple of days they're not working. That's, you know, those knock-on effects add up and add up. So the end point of this um, is stay home. Like, <laughs> if you get injured out there badly, there's a chance that, like, things will not work out the way they should. We're not doing, like, the ER rushing you into the hospital and having heroic doctors save your life. We're beyond that. 
we're in battlefield fucking conditions right now. Stay the fuck home. Yeah. Stay the fuck home. Stay the fuck home. Stay the fuck home. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's what it really comes down to is like, things are just so completely fucked. We have no capacity to be dealing with anything but this. And I am terrified of what these fall on ramifications are going to be like yeah. the collective trauma that we as a society are going to be dealing with for the next five, 10, 20 years. It's going to be fucked. Like you, you hear those stories about like, you know, grandparents who would have a junk drawer full of all of the stuff. That's all of the spare bits of all of the things because they lived through the depression as kids. They couldn't get rid of that stuff. I can only imagine what the collect, like how much more, you know, intense this is going to end up being uh, in terms of not like the physical manifestations necessarily, but Holy shit, this is going to get. Oh yeah. Really I mean, a closet, a closet full of latex gloves and masks. Right. And yeah. yeah. And, and canned goods because you're not sure if you can go to the grocery store and toilet yeah. paper if uh if, if history is any bit guy. Of yeah. to it yeah <laughs> well so so let's uh let's move on to our uh our cavalcade <laughs> of feel-good stories for today oh yeah um, yeah yeah you know uh so let's let's start off uh the the pandemic is hitting all of society but not equally and one Correct. of the things that you probably noticed is that the price of your food is going way up and it's being harder and harder. It's becoming harder and harder to find the stuff that you want. One of the untold stories here, or undertold stories, is the effect of the pandemic on farm workers. So let's let's dig into this one a little bit, Chris. Well, uh, yeah, the headline for this piece really kind of tells it all. The twelfth foster farm worker in the Central Valley has died of COVID nineteen, sparking new safety concerns. Basically, uh, we are not doing there's the state is completely failing people who are working in the food processing industry specifically in the meat packing we saw the same thing happening back in uh over the summer where um the managers at meat packing plants across i think it was the midwest yeah. were uh, tyson uh, yeah tyson specifically yeah they were making some extremely i forget how what they, they, that they, was. they had a betting they, they had, had a betting, betting pool, pool yeah on on how many of their factory workers were going to test positive I mean, that's just fucking inhumane, just straight yeah. up monstrous behavior. Um, but yeah, quoting a little bit from this LA Times piece, the worker's family said the employee, so this is the 12th, the 12th uh, uh, foster farms worker to test positive. Uh, the employee who was of Punjabi descent and is in his 50s has been called back into the foster farms poultry processing plant on Cherry Avenue in Fresno, got sick with COVID-19 and spent the last three weeks in an intensive care unit before dying over the weekend, according to Deep Deep Singh, executive director of the Jakarta Movement, a Central Valley youth and family nonprofit that works with the Punjabi Sikh community. Um, Singh faulted foster farms for, quote, a callous lack of concern and protections that prioritize workers' safety and their families. Uh, continuing, at least 193 people at the Cherry Avenue plant have tested positive for the coronavirus in recent weeks. About 20% of the plant's workers, according to the company. I don't know what else to say on that. Like, yeah. No, I know just... um, uh, uh, Melissa Asadero, who uh, runs Polo's Pantry, has been doing a lot of work in the Central Valley getting foodstuffs up there because a lot of these farms, they're not doing the business that they used to be doing. So they're not hiring as many workers to pick fruits and vegetables. We're seeing a lot of crops just rot on the vine this year. That means these families don't have income. They're already yep. at a disadvantage because they're paid very poorly. They work under really shitty circumstances. They work for big agro business. You know, the Central Valley is not 
small family farms that are growing your spinach. They are massive agricultural businesses. And if you've ever had the pleasure of taking a bike ride through like Fresno, which like I used to race <laughs> bikes, so that's where a lot of the bike races happen, mm -hmm. you smell what factory farming is. And there is nothing pleasant about it. Like the people who put food on our table, literally working conditions that I would never want to work on. Like it is, you know, when I hear people talk about how LAPD is heroes, and it's like, no, they make a shit ton of money and live in really nice lofts in downtown LA or big fuck off mansions in Calabasas. Uh, they, they, don't, making they don't live in downtown LA. A year. Oh, no, I plus percent of, of them live outside of downtown or outside of the city. Yeah. Like, no, I knew I, 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 I knew a couple of LAPD officers that lived in fair. downtown LA. They were definitely the, the exception to the rule, but they also lived in I'm, really nice lofts in downtown LA. Yeah. You know, they weren't, I had, they weren't I had living in like the Alexandria. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had one as a neighbor when I lived at PE lofts. Like I would see him just hanging out by the pool all the time. Uh, not going to lie. He had a mustache similar to yours, Bushido. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it it's a matter of of beards don't work with respirators so you're not allowed to have them yeah fair uh that that does uh make sense but yeah the, so that this is this is absolutely fucked but this is not the only thing that's absolutely fucked about going on going on right now in la county relating to covid uh one that uh i was tweeting about a little bit over the weekend is um the fact that we still have the airports open they're not doing anything yep. to regulate air travel with COVID. It's basically the government has completely given up and just let the airlines do whatever it is that they feel is appropriate. Uh, the headline from the New York Times or from the LA Times, coughing, sneezing, vomiting, visibly ill people aren't being kept off planes. Uh, even worse, there was an, uh, a headline that was making the rounds not that long ago. Uh, I think it was last week about somebody who literally died on the plane. And yeah. they were giving them CPR for like an hour and a half. Uh, and then the person was pronounced dead due to, you know, complications with COVID. And yeah. this person had tested positive and knew they had COVID, got on the plane anyway, and died in the confined spaces with the recirculating mm -hmm. air, knowing that they were infected and, and infectious. It, it and it wasn't until after CPR had been started that, that the, this person's wife came forward and did admit that that he had tested positive for COVID. So you've got people who are uh, in close proximity, flu bodily fluids are gonna happen when you're giving CPR, it just it just is. And, and so, you know, it's like what? Well, and the, the part that was really weird was then United came out and said, it's not our responsibility to warn all of the passengers on this flight, even though we have all of their contact information, because by law, we have to collect, collect it. We're not going to tell them that they were on a flight with somebody who was COVID positive, which I think it would be kind of hard to, to be on that flight and not know something not went down. Yeah. But at the same time, like the airline should have to tell you and it should have to tell all of the people who are waiting in the gates around that person. It should have to tell all of the people who are waiting in the TSA line with that person. Like all of yeah. that is trackable data that we've got. The airlines just don't want to do it, despite the fact that they've gotten massive bailouts. Billions of dollars have been pulled in, poured into the airline industry, even though they've laid off tens of thousands of workers. And honestly, like. The airlines are a terrible industry. Like they really need yes. to go under when you're looking at what's fueling climate change and greenhouse yeah. gas emissions. Our addiction to flying around the fucking country is literally killing us. And you can make an argument that international flights 
are actually a little bit better because pound for pound, they're a little bit more efficient having them fly. And there's not as much fuel that's wasted. Like when you fly from Phoenix to LA, even though you don't use up the gas tank, you still have to refuel. And there's like a lot more waste that goes into it. And that's also why they pack those planes to the gills to make back every last dollar. But we need to fly less. Like we need to travel around the world a hell of a lot less, especially now, you know, when I see people I know getting on planes to go to foreign countries, like don't, don't do that. Don't yeah. get yourself an yeah. Oculus Rift and like take a virtual tour of like Chi- uh, Chichen Itza. Like it's fine. Yeah. It it has survived a thousand years. Those ruins will still be there in the Yucatan Peninsula next year when we're through this. Yeah. They will wait yeah. for you. I promise. I mean, unless unless you're jetting off to see a glacier, right? I mean, then there's some time oh, sensitivity. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Thank you for making it bleak. Uh, so fun story. I, I, I forgot that actually it was this article was the one that includes the recounting of what happened with that. Um, the, the, the Angelino who collapsed and, and died of COVID on the flight. Um, uh, so quote before boarding oh, I didn't a flight even from realize Orlando, they were in, I didn't even realize they were in Angelino. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here oh, we go. Fuck. Before boarding a flight from Orlando to Los Angeles, Isaiah Hernandez f- filled out a checklist provided by United Airlines asserting that he had not been diagnosed with COVID-19 and had not shown any of the disease symptoms in the previous two weeks. But during the flight, the 69-year-old Angelino collapsed. Three passengers gave him CPR for nearly an hour in the aisle of the plane, and the flight was diverted to Louisiana, where Hernandez was pronounced dead. The coroner's report listed the cause as, quote, acute respiratory failure, COVID-19, end quote. This was December 14th that that happens. Um, continuing really quickly from LA Times, the, this incident illustrates the deficiencies in the, sim- in the systems that are meant to prevent people from bringing the coronavirus aboard commercial flights and potentially spreading it to the people packed in around them. And it happened as holiday air travel ramped up. In the days surrounding Christmas, more than a million passengers boarded planes almost daily, reaching 1.3 million last Sunday, the most since March. The fact, okay. The fact of the matter is that the TSA and like the the transportation administration people that you know the assholes in charge were bragging about how many people were get clearing through you know through uh security checks and getting onto flights in the last few days they're fucking bragging about pushing more than a million people a day into goddamn tin cans in the sky with recirculating air in the midst of a goddamn pandemic that has ramped up to the worst levels that it's been in this country ever we are now yep. so much worse off than we were in March when they actually shut everything down. The, yeah. ab- the the absurdity of this fucking bullshit that they're letting them get away with, where they're just it's just completely nonchalant, giving zero fucks about people's lives. They're yep. just throwing it all to the wind because capital must be paid. The capitalists well, must make their due, and they will do it with the blood of the fucking workers and of the consumers. They do not give any shits about you, me, or anyone else, as long as it impacts their bottom line and they can make a fucking profit on it. That's all that fucking matters. So, Chris, I, I know you can break bake bread, but can you bake a guillotine? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can probably go to Home Depot and pick up everything I need to make one. I can probably do it for less than 600 bucks. But like everything else, this is just, it's presented as natural and inevitable, and there's nothing that one can do to stop it, right? Like, oh, we're we're recommending that people really should stay at home and don't travel for the holidays and look for... Uh-oh. Oh, no, Terry froze. Terry, come back. Am I, am I back? Oh, now you froze you're back. for a moment. Yep. Oh, there we are. Okay, great. 
<laughs> as if there's nothing that we could do. We we proved in March that you can lock people down. You we proved that you can ground airlines after September 11th, right? I mean, it's possible to do these things, and yet you say, oh well, we'll just recommend like please stay home, and it's like, no, don't don't go shopping at you know the Citadel or whatever, and. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, the Citadel. Yeah. That was a fun one. Uh, definitely not the most depressing thing I've seen in, in LA in a long, long time. Uh, those videos of the parking lot just packed the goddamn gills with cars circulating, trying to find parking yeah. spaces so they can all wait in line to buy discounted Levi's. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to give them any more uh, oxygen, but those anti-maskers who took over the Century City Mall and started fights and, you know, attacked shop employees and just literally yeah. did everything to prove what deplorable human beings they are, you know, uh, are really a sign of the times here in L.A. And one that I think stretches much deeper than just the like, you know, kind of retail anti-maskers, like the retail level that is just kind of the surface of what's going on. So let's Let's move on to our next story about the USNS Mercy and also St. Vincent's Medical Center, um, because yeah. these two stories are kind of linked. So the LA Times put out the story talking about the USNS Mercy, which was the hospital ship which showed up in LA back in uh, April and May, uh, didn't do a whole lot, then got its own COVID outbreak and then pretty much uh, disappeared. Uh, it is sitting in Portland in dry dock. Uh, people who are writing letters to the LA Times would really like to see this ship come back um, and do its, again, absolutely useless thing. Meanwhile, the owner of the LA Times, Dr. Oh, Patrick Shung uh, Song, yep. uh, owns St. Vincent's Medical Center, which is a 380-bed facility, uh, which is in the, the um, kind of Rampart Village area of, of LA, um, that has been shuttered since it was used as a surge hospital back during the first wave of coronavirus, uh, and has since then uh, sat empty except for the occasional film and TV shoot. Uh, and so I want to link these two stories because the doctor, and again, he is a medical doctor who took the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. And part of that oath includes doing, it includes understanding that if you don't do anything, when you can do something to help, that is the same as doing harm. This doctor owns a hospital that is closed. And he's not reopening it to save lives. Yeah, it's really fucking bleak. Um, to let just to touch briefly on what was said about the the USNS Mercy, uh, quoting from the LA Times, quote: "It's a question our readers started asking once the severity of the present COVID nineteen surge became clear. Where is the massive military hospital ship that docked in the port of Los Angeles last spring so it could relieve local medical centers?" That naval ship, the USNS Mercy, is currently dry docked in Portland, undergoing heavy maintenance for the last, for at least the next several months. In fact, the Mercy sailed to Portland only weeks after it steamed away from Los Angeles in May. It's nearly 1,000 hospital beds having gone largely unused during the initial pandemic wave, which pales in comparison to Southern California's current crisis. Uh, one of those examples uh, came from uh, Mana Garect of uh, Los Angeles. Mentions both the naval ships, the most most bleh, 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 mentioned both naval hospital ships, referencing the one on the East Coast. So, quote: Way back at the beginning of the pandemic, a huge hospital ship, the Mercy, sat in the port of Los Angeles to accommodate the upcoming overflow of patients. Another such ship was brought to the East Coast. Where are these ships now? We desperately need more medical facilities and trained staff. Not wrong, but also like. There are a lot of problems with using the Mercy and the East Coast uh, equivalent of the Mercy 
uh, to handle this outbreak. And not the least of which is that these ships are not intended to deal with any kind of a pandemic response. Like they do not have yep. the isolation capacity and the necessary, you know, uh, the necessary measures to prevent spread from patient to patient once they're in there. And th these were intended because they knew that they didn't have that capacity in the first place. They were intended to be overflow for the kinds of traumatic injuries and other responses that we were just talking about with the EMS order, where if you don't have COVID, but you need a hospital, this was meant for you. And, but the problem that they ran into was that even like the few patients that they took in, they had a fucking outbreak. Like it's not meant for this. It's very close quarters because a hospital is already tight, but a hospital on a ship is even tighter. Like there's no space. There is no like semblance of divisions between people. Like it is all right fucking there. And that's a problem. Um, yeah, that's all I got for the quotes on that one. But yeah. then we do. No, have, well, it was um, also with when the, when the, uh, when the mercy was here, if you were going to be transferred there, you were, you were required to quarantine for a week to two weeks in a different facility. So that means yeah. they'd have to take you out of the hospital you were oh, in, yeah. move you to another completely clean and safe environment for one to two weeks where you couldn't have any COVID exposure. Then if you tested like clean for COVID through all of that, then they could move you to the, the Mercy. But then the crew of the Mercy, because they were like regular people who could leave the ship, also contracted COVID. It's not a solution. Like we have an entire fucking hospital. And Chris, I just threw a couple of, of photos um, into the chat. I actually went out to St. Vincent's because uh, you can just drive up to this hospital. It's like on uh, Alvarado and Third Street. And um, it was completely empty the day that I was there. Like the weird thing is there's a senior living facility like across the street. So there were some inter-facility transport, like ambulances that just sort of like take people from one hospital facility to another one, like to dialysis or like, to their cancer mm -hmm. treatment, whatever. Those guys are sitting there chilling next to a completely empty hospital whose parking lot is completely gated up and is sitting there empty. And you can actually see the emergency room entrance in that first uh, that first photo yeah. I sent over. Uh, it's it's being less than cooperative as I do this. Uh, let me... Damn you, OBS. Well, it's, it's yeah, I should have had this prepped ahead of time. Uh, I just thought of it. So this is more on me than you. It's yeah, it, this is just, it just doesn't work very smoothly. Um, so you want the one with the, the wide angle of the hospital? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me pull that up and here Ooh, it is a much bigger photo than I realized. There we go. Good enough. There we so, go. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's St. Vincent's hospital on the day before new year's Eve. Uh, completely empty. We recorded over 200 COVID deaths that day. Uh, the next photo, if you can get that one up, is they actually have this oh, handy little thing hanging in the windows uh, where it tells you other emergency rooms you can go to. So that's that's all the help that, that um, the owner of the LA Times, a literal billionaire who owns a hospital and is a medical doctor, is offering to people. Is He's like, hey, here are the addresses of places you can go for help because this hospital, we're all out of that. Yeah. This ho <clears throat> this hospital is just a film shoot. Yeah. Right. So there's a there was there was an article uh, to quote really quickly from this uh, for two urban girls. 
quote, as California officials warn about an impending wave of COVID-19 infections, just shuttered hospital in Los Angeles that br briefly reopened in the spring to help treat an expected surge of cases now appears to be the site of a major Hollywood production. When the coronavirus crisis began and officials feared hospitals would be overrun, the state signed a six-month, $16 million lease with Verity Health Systems, which owns St. Vincent and has de and had declared bankruptcy. The state also paid healthcare companies Kaiser Permanente and Dignity Health a monthly management fee of $500,000 each to oversee the hospital. Dr. Patrick Soon-Shiong, who owns the Los Angeles Times, purchased St. Vincent for $135 million in a deal that was finalized in early April. His global health firm, Nant Nantworks, is a creditor in Verity's bankruptcy proceedings. Um, yeah. and oh, by what, the way, this is a this is a fun fact. What's the name of the show that they're shooting there, Chris? Oh, that's what I was about to get to. It's uh, Triage. So this we are literally in the bleakest of timelines right now. So exactly, uh, Terry. I think that 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 face palm said more than we ever could. I just wonder, like so much of this, it's the 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 equipment and the and the tents and the national guard and the hospital ships like all this stuff was there for the anticipated surge and uh, overrunning of of resources back in the spring and none of that was used and yeah. now when it's it's no longer an anticipated overrun of our resources like our resources are exhausted and yeah. you have the you're filming in the, at the hospital Say what you will about the the benefits of of having a hospital ship docked. Like who in their right mind is going to schedule three months worth of maintenance in the fucking global pandemic, <laughs> right? I, um, while at the same time, uh, and this was a few months ago. More than that, was, it's like nine months of, of of maintenance because it went up there immediately after leaving us, and after, it's yeah. been under it's, repair ever it's since still in, in dry dock. And, you know, I forget what, when this was. This was sometime over the summer, but I, I was watching PBS and because my parents watch PBS, they're old. Um, <laughs> and, and it was like a, some special on like how the, our, our nuclear uh, command is dealing with, with COVID and like, you know, like, or like the central military command, whatever it was in, in Colorado, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. NORAD. And, NORAD. Yeah. And they're like, Jinx. Uh, yeah, people people quarantine for for two weeks, but you know before they are even allowed to go in, and then once they go in, and they're not allowed to leave. Like it is possible to do this shit. Yeah, the NBA right. did it with the bubble for the playoffs. If the like, NBA you, can do it, you you can do this. It just costs money, and requires people to be tested on a regular basis. Yeah, and and you know the thing is that it's it's that that effort is not scalable for. Well, apparently, like I guess Avatar, they're doing the same shit down in like New Zealand or something, where everyone that's working on the production of the new Avatar movies is living in a giant hermetic bubble, just like they did for the NBA. Um, but like the problem is that that's just not scalable for the public in a city like Los Angeles or literally anywhere else. But they could just do so much better. And they've just proven gross incompetency with the mismanagement of this shit. Like this, this tweet right here from uh, Blue Shell Party. Uh, it's at Blue Shell underscore Party, uh, who was a big fan of LA Podcast and was a big part of the uh, Garcettiville uh, actions back, you know, before our our uh, special mayor uh, got completely rejected by the Biden administration for anything. Um, he basically was tweeting out, "Are they? Sorry, I don't know." 
uh, how Blue Shell identifies. Uh, if you're wondering why the city isn't setting up St. Vincent's Hospital for the COVID increase, it's because once again, city is prioritizing filming. Supposedly a pilot definitely shooting inside, saw crew exiting entrance. And it's a bunch of pictures of a massive film shoot that is set up. And the sign says base camp triage. And that's just fucking bleak. That's just so fucking, fucking bleak. dark. Yeah. So yeah. fucking like, Imagine the person who printed that sign, like oh knowing that God. it's for a film shoot at a hospital and it's the project is tree. I like gallows oh, fucking, my fucking head. Well, it, <laughs> but you know, they hit the nail right on the head though. Right. It is priorities because you know, the, the NBA goes into a bubble, but right now we've got college basketball going on. Right. And they're not in a bubble or yeah, you literally, you know, we literally had a college athlete drop dead at a college basketball game from complications from having gotten over COVID. Ugh. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let's, uh, let's move uh, on yeah. to uh, the ever, ever present crisis on the streets of Los Angeles, which has now turned into a crisis in the only shelter space that we've got in LA at this point. Um, this one is just a really hard one. Like for a long while, uh, people were expecting a much bigger impact on the unhoused population, and that didn't really materialize until mm. now. And now there's no place to put anyone. Project Room Key is over. Project Home Key is is doing some cool stuff, but moving incredibly slowly and also causing a lot of problems by displacing people from the motels where they live once they get bought or the developers or the person who owns it is trying to flip that ho that motel to the city to become permanent housing. But people who are looking for shelter space, they can't find it. People who are sick on the streets don't have a safe place to go. So uh, the Union Rescue Mission, which is run by um, our one of our um, nemeses, uh, Reverend yeah. Andy Bales, has kind of turned into a COVID emergency spot. So Chris, walk us, walk us through this a little bit. Uh, yeah. So basically the, the headline here kind of says it all, uh, LA homeless sites quote overwhelmed by COVID-19 quote, these are the toughest times end quote. Um, so reading a little bit here from LA times the day after Christmas, Dr. Heidi, uh, Berfaros, I apologize for mispronouncing your name, medical director of LA County's housing for health program, uh, sent out a call of distress. People living in Skid Row shelters were being diagnosed with dozens of new cases of COVID-19 and Berforos needed a place to send them quickly to isolate. The call went to Reverend Andrew J. Bales, chief executive of the Union Rescue Mission, which before the pandemic had erected a large tent behind its five-story building on Skid Row to make room for more people without a home. Quote, we were able to make yet one more chess move against this monster uh, genius COVID, Bales said in an email to the Times. Quote, we moved our men inside to second floor and handed over keys last Sunday. That is some stellar grammar there. Uh, continuing, the tent at Union Rescue Mission became an impromptu triage center as the Housing for Health struggled to respond to a sudden surge in the spread of the disease through the homeless shelter system. Um, yeah, basically, there is just no capacity here. And we're seeing a situation, this is a very long article, and I don't want to cut too much into the weeds on this one because we've been going for a while at this point. Um, basically, everything is fucked. There is no room at the shelters. And while they're seeing cases spiking at the shelters, uh, the city, uh, headed up by Joey Buckets of Feces Bluscaino, has decided that we must resume sweeps of encampments for public health reasons. Yeah. Which is unfucking conscionable 
because there is no public health justification for resuming the sweeps of homeless encampments. Uh, <laughs> Shayla Myers was quoted in this article and Shayla Myers is a fucking saint. Oh my God. She is amazing. Uh, she's part of the lawsuit of K town for all against, uh, I think she's actually the, the, the head legal counsel in, uh, in charge of suing the city, uh, for the fact that the city keeps confiscating, uh, shelter, or, uh, tents and other, uh, belongings yeah. from the unhoused in K town and across the rest of the city. Uh, Shayla's quote was quote, there is simply no public health justification for continuing the displacement of unhoused residents at this time. Shayla Myers, an attorney for legal aid foundation of Los Angeles wrote in a December 21st letter to mayor Eric Garcetti continuing quote, doing so places unhoused residents and the community at significant, unnecessary and foreseeable risk. End quote. On Thursday, Bale said he was alarmed to learn that there were 90 new cases overnight, including a hotspot at a park near Union Rescue Mission. Quote, we aren't winning, just barely holding our own, Bale said. Uh, These are the toughest times in my career, life, and in the 130-year history of Union Rescue Mission. Thank you, Reverend Andy Bales, for stating the absolutely fucking obvious. Do your job and make sure that people like Joe Buscaino don't have justification and support from your ass to do these sweeps, you fucking yeah. monsters. And today, the city was out in Harbor City conducting the sweep that Angelino sent 2,000 emails to the mayor of LA to stop. Correct. 60 unhoused people were displaced in 40-degree weather for absolutely Jesus. no reason. LAPD was out there not wearing masks because, you know, why, why would you wear a mask when you interact with the public a lot? Just... Absolutely terrible, stupid stuff. But we don't want to spend too Aren't much time they, like, on this. 10% we'll... of LAPD has already tested positive at this point. I mean, yeah. And they they get a paid vacation when that happens. And, and <sighs> the city pays to put them up in a hotel room so that they have safe housing for their families. Uh, meanwhile, you know, nurses uh, go back to their families every night, putting them at risk because the hospitals don't want to pay for that. But let's, uh, let's kind of keep the train rolling because we will get bogged down here. So uh, filming has finally been suspended in LA for the most part. Again, this is voluntary compliance. Like this isn't the mm-hmm. city making it shut down. It's just the studios doing the math and realizing it's more of a liability. This comes on the heels of some major outbreaks at major TV shows like little, uh, like young Sheldon, uh, which is the apparently, uh, hit sequel series to big bang theory, which is <laughs> when the, when the history of our century is written, the the big bang theory is is kind of going to be god i don't even know like terry what would be like an equally egregious piece of literature (laughs) from the past like i don't even know like maybe the aeneid like the way the aeneid's compared to the odyssey but even the aeneid like it's got some nice rhymes in it i don't even know where how to compare this uh i mean we live in hell that's the only (laughs) that's the only explanation Oh, but yeah, so so filming has finally been suspended, uh, at least for a little bit, at least for a yep. few weeks, if not for a couple of months. Uh, there is still filming happening, and filming has been happening pretty steadily across the city, displacing unhoused residents, uh, using up our empty hospitals, uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff. But this is just more of Hollywood's capitalist bullshit is literally I- trying to kill us. Hollywood Delenda Est. And nearly and nearly shutting down a testing site. I mean, that, that was about to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, until the backlash uh, yeah. actually actually stopped it again. But it down for all. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, but didn't stop it in time that there you know that to send the mixed messages that oh it's closed oh now last minute oh it's open again. I mean it really disrupted testing at Union Station. It did. Absolutely. Uh, even if and even it, if they didn't actually follow through with filming. 
Well, no, they they did. So what they did was the the production crew just found ways to work around it. Um, but what happened was, you know, the email went out at three fifteen, uh, and the mayor's office technically closes at three p.m. So the email went out when there was nobody at the mayor's office for you to yell at or confront about this. And then their kind of take back but not really take back email didn't come until about twelve fifteen in the morning, when obviously a lot of people are sitting around obsessively checking their email for their COVID appointment, which had been canceled just eight hours before. Incredibly poorly handled. Film LA kind of dropped the ball, allowing them to even get a permit there. The mayor's office had to help in the approval of that permit and for some reason thought that this was a good idea. Just multiple, multiple levels of failure because ultimately the extractive industries like oil and gas, defense, and the the film industry run LA. Like LA is built on oil extraction and that's what's going to kill us um, in every different form of extraction. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, everything is mega fucked. Yeah. Just mega fucked. Let's let's round this out by talking about Sean Frucht, who is a evangelical preacher who took his super spreader yeah. events to Skid Row and Echo Park. Um, he was met with a lot of resistance. LA Can, the Los Angeles Community Action Network, organized the resistance on Skid Row and was out there filming what was going on and keeping people apprised and keeping the the residents down there because Skid Row is a community. People don't think of it as a community, but it is a community. They were keeping their community safe and doing what they could do to try and keep these maskless, like insane people from uh, harming other people. They were, uh, a lot of these evangelicals will fan out to try and uh, proselytize and witness to the people that they think are morally inferior because they're unhoused, offering them food. In a few cases, attempting to enter people's tents and like, When you see a tent, you don't think of that as a residence. But in the state of California, your tent is a residence. Entering someone's tent without permission is burglary. That is breaking into someone's house. That is a crime, and it could be considered a violent crime if you are forcing your way in there. But so this evangelical church went out there trying to spread the gospel, which, you know, Jesus was flipping over tables for money changers. Like, he was going after the proto-capitalists. He wasn't yeah. attacking the unhoused. Like, the, yeah. the you know, I was raised Catholic, and I consider myself as a lapsed Catholic, a true Catholic, and I always <laughs> kind of got that about Jesus, that he was there for the down and out. He wasn't beating them about the face and neck, saying, why aren't you richer? Why aren't you a better person? Like, he hung out with the sex workers and with the downtrodden and the people who had been excised from society. Those were his crew. It wasn't the wealthy people. It wasn't the people who live in big houses and drive big fuck off coal rolling trucks. He was, he was also healing people, not spreading the plague. Yeah. So that's, well, so, you know, start with the. Yes. And so some of the videos that came out of this were truly terrifying. There was a lot of like either laying on the hands or uh, attempts to exercise uh, the demons that were causing people to become unhoused. You're going to exercise the homelessness? I mean, what the the shit are they even trying to do here? And it, it just goes I, right back to what Skrull was saying, that they just look down on as if people are morally inferior because capitalism has no particular use for them at this exact moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the woman in the front and center in this image with the My Lifeguard Walks on Water uh, shirt, which, uh, yeah, I, that was that's exactly the response I was looking for, Squirrel. Uh, remember, this is an audio format. Give them the sigh on the microphone, not just as you pull away. 
Uh, yeah, it's really fucking bad. Uh, she was out in force both uh, this night on Skid Row and then also the next day at Echo Park, um, loud and proud and not wearing a mask at all uh, and very aggressively responding to anyone who was just like, why are you not wearing a mask? And just like very flippant in the way that she was uh, willfully being an asshole. Um, I don't have any other way of describing her. She is truly terrible. Um, I believe that uh, the, the minister himself was not actually there for most of these things because he just couldn't be asked to show up. Um, but yeah, he, and then he, oh, and then he started spreading lies on Twitter about, uh, pastor Q, um, because there's nothing that says, uh, you know, brotherhood in Christ, like slandering another pastor. Yeah. And then they took this, this, uh, road show out to echo park Lake where they were confronted by a lot of people. It was a little bit of a shit show on both sides. Like, I appreciate the zeal with which a lot of people showed up to defend the community at Echo Park Lake, but they didn't bother to ask the people who live at Echo Park Lake if that's how they wanted to be defended. You know, a lot of people on both sides, and this is our side as well, showed up Mm -hmm. with their ego forward and showed up to do the whole white savior thing. And just don't fucking do that. The people at Echo Park Lake wanted people to help them clean up the trash and keep their living area nice not to yell at a bunch of crazy evangelicals that don't care about them like talk to your unhoused neighbors they're human beings yeah. talk to them ask them what they want and it's often going to be not what you think they want but they have agency you don't yeah. know better than they do like this is a frustrating thing and i know many people who do this work on the daily who are really frustrated with the way our side showed up as well going around and picking fights with people is not helping. That's not keeping us safe. That's putting us in more danger. Don't fucking do that shit. Yeah. Uh, All right. Politico. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to this last one. So we're going to be, I'm going to hit this one real quick and then we're going to move on Go to, uh, to Mr. Assange. So Politico put out a piece, the headline on it uh, was California is running out of reasons for surprising search. And now the headline here is a lot stupider than the actual article is. But the article does a good job of running down all the things that the state has tried and failed to do. And what it basically comes down to is the state will say, like, stay at home, but not give you the economic option to stay home, not allow you to stay home by enforcing parking restrictions, not allow you to stay home by canceling rent, not allow you to stay home by just paying you to stay home, right? If you're a working parent, You have no way to send your kids out of the house during the day. There is no daycares that are open. There are no schools that are open. There is no safe way for your kids to be alone. The state is putting undue pressure on the people it's trying to protect because it's just uh, paying lip service to this. It's just the idea of, oh, we're in a lockdown now. You should stay home. If you can, a lot of people can't. We're 10 months into this pandemic now. People are running out of money. People are running out of patience. They need to have some options that give them the ability to do the things that we want them to do, to stay home, to get tested, to get healthcare. Our hospitals are collapsing, not just because there are too many people with COVID in them right now, that is a a major driver of it, but our hospitals were already collapsing. Any Mm -hmm. given year, Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital, which replaced uh, King Drew Medical Center in 2007, is at 200% capacity. It is not built to handle the number of people that it handles every year because it's the only hospital that serves a huge portion of LA and unincorporated LA. Like the systemic problems that we haven't dealt with are now becoming acute problems and killing people at a higher rate than we have ever seen. 
The political article does a pretty good job of like charting that. The headline that you read is dumb as fuck. And whoever is giving headlines to these political articles, like fire that person's ass. But this reporter did a pretty good job, uh, but it was very clickbaity. And a lot of people just shared the headline and didn't read the article. And uh, that's kind of what it's designed to do because editors don't care if you read, they care if you click. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on. And Terry, I've yelled myself hoarse. I'm going to let you take on uh, this news from across the pond. Okay. Well, we're going to do this real quick because it's not really L.A. focused at all. Um, but uh, Julian Assange is not going to be extradited to the U.S. Uh, it's, uh, there's a possibility later this week he might even be released on bail, um, or at least they're, they're going to put forward that request. Um, which, uh, say what you will about Julian Assange, I, I don't really like dealing even with with personalities or, or individual people so much as the the systemic issues i mean you know wikileaks uh has done some good work i don't i don't think they've ever been proven you know proven wrong on anything that they've published um assange yeah is what it is um but the the the, the non-extradition uh, really kind of happened in a in a backhanded way it wasn't that uh the, this uk court believed that uh, someone couldn't be extradited on on charges such as this. They actually rejected arguments that uh, Assange would not get a fair trial in the U.S. So, that, so the U.K. believed that he would actually get a fair trial, which we all know is ridiculous. Um, and, but the, the, then the logic that they that they fell back on is that he seems extremely depressed and despairing of his future, which uh, he's been in virtually virtually in solitary confinement for you know, seven years almost now, yeah. or, or or longer. I mean, he was in the embassy for the uh, Ecuadorian embassy for six, seven years. Mm -hmm. So yes, he's depressed and despairing of his future. What they did basically was indict our criminal, our, our prison system in saying that the, the policies and procedures that the, that the, our, our government gave to them, uh, the court, UK court was not convinced that Assange would be prevented from committing suicide in custody. Mm. And so, therefore, he should not be extradited, which is like, so if he were a little bit happier, they would ship him over, I guess, or or whatever. But if, if uh, our prison conditions were just not as hell world as they are. Uh, yeah, if, if it was slightly nicer. It makes nicer. me think of Epstein, like suicide or suicided, right? Yeah, you know, right. Uh, I I would not put it past you know a black bag team going in and making it uh, convenient that uh, Julian Assange uh, commits suicide before his full trial if he was uh, extradited here to the states. Um, it, yeah. They... Sorry, I I wouldn't put it past them either. It it'd be yeah. interesting. It, well, it, it's all interesting when it's somebody else that's about to get suicided, but. But you would think about like what what is the message that our government would want to send? Like, would they want do they want him gone and out of there, or do they or just out of the world, or do they yeah. want to have the opportunity to impose a 157 year prison sentence on him as a, a warning to chill future whistleblowers? So which which way would he serve a, the the state's purpose better um, as a deterrent, which is what they really want. Um, mm -hmm. Aside from, I mean, I think Obama had some real personal vendetta on this shit. But, um, but in terms of like state bureaucracy, like which which is the stronger deterrent, um, as opposed well, to Epstein, who had information that could have really damaged people. 
So yeah, I, I want to ask, so in the in the systemic like um, sort of critique, what do you think WikiLeaks fits into that? Like, do you think that they're still a necessary voice? Do you think that they're just one of many? Like, what do you think, Where what niche do you think WikiLeaks is now kind of occupying in our, our media landscape? Uh, that's a great question. And I, not being on Twitter. Uh, no, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think there are, I mean, how, you know, I, I, they're, they're sort of like uh, the first name you think of is like, if, oh, if I had something, you know, that I needed to securely, uh, you know, move, move out of my possession into an agency that I, or, or an institution that I believed would, would, would get it uh, out there. Um, I think they're still probably serving serving that function. Um, there are plenty, and especially now with Substack kind of happening and, and so many more journalists going uh, completely sort of independent freelance um, and having that, that platform, I think there are more outlets that maybe WikiLeaks is not necessarily as, playing as prominent a role as they, as they once did. Um, they do also seem to have their own agenda at times. I mean, I don't think I mean, they're not any more liable for Donald Trump's presidency than like CBS and CNN, but yeah. um, but they do seem to have their own agenda that is not necessarily the best. So, uh, you know, but if if I were whistleblowing, I mean, thank God I don't have an important job where I, where I have to make these decisions. But, it, you know, and I said, oh, I, I have to get this document out there. Well, I, I wouldn't know who to turn to, you know? And so there's at least at least a, a name recognition, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, to cap it off, I, I did hear that um, apparently Mexico has offered uh, asylum to Assange. So that if, if he's able to get out, uh, we might have him south of the border um, and hopefully he would be safe there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, you know, send him to Russia. He can, you know, he and Snowden can kind of hang out and yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting one. I, I, I wonder, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of necessarily of editorial control, but I also wonder having seen the way that social media spirals, what it's going to mean if Substack kind of becomes the place where journalists go and you don't have editors, you don't have other journalists that you're working with, that you're bouncing ideas off of, that you're like asking questions and how easily that stuff can spiral because you know, investigative journalism isn't generally just one reporter. It's a team of people working on stuff, combing through mountains of evidence, working through their assumptions, making sure that they're yeah. not bringing their own biases to it. And so I really worry, you know, what happens when a schmuck like Glenn Greenwald or somebody like Michael Tracy gets big on Substack and they don't have anyone calling their balls and fouls? They don't have anyone saying, hey, you might want to check that or, hey, I want to push back against this. What does that do to journalism? when those personalities begin to overtake the publications. And I, I don't know that there's going to be an answer to that. I think it's the wide open internet question that we're still yeah. dealing with. And I don't think the answer is top-down editorial control. I think a lot of it's got to be, you know, to, to harp on, on what we're doing here, the more community and co-op model, you know, like knock isn't one person. We're not one personality, though. I know you're all showing up for me, but, <laughs> but it, it is about a team, about collaboration and community. And I, I, I'm not sure how we build that on a systemic level as I, I kind of like think out loud here. Unfortunately, if, if YouTube has been any, any indication, it, it will become more, more personality driven. And so instead of, 
you know, going to Greenwald for his journalism or the, his animal rights uh, reporting that he's been so great on, uh, you'll be going for his personality or for him as the that figure. And then you'll end up with, I mean, like, like Jimmy Dore, right? Like yeah. what happened with, you know, from, from being left and, and okay on, on the Young Turks to then his own show. And he's kind of gone off conspiracy, you know, theories and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was just sort of intense yeah. of whatever that person was doing that led them to start using, start publishing on Substack. It will just intensify that prop maybe. Which would not be All right. great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I, I think we came to a happy. We'll have to wait and see what happens here, yeah. and kind of like hope for the best. Uh, but let's talk about tomorrow's county board of supervisors meeting because oh. uh, you're going to be live tweeting you that, and the uh, there's some. Me. Well, it, because we are going to be that that story we are going to be covering on a later true, show. We're going to be devoting an entire knock at night to it. So we're this not giving true. it short shrift. We're just giving it a, a spotlight later. But let's talk gotcha. about uh, about that, and then. Uh, then we're going to drag some petroleum students. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great as a nice little, nice little, uh, you know, uh, palate cleanser at the end of this. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow morning, 930 AM LA County board of supervisors is meeting. Uh, this is going to be Tuesday, January 5th, uh, healthy LA along with the cancel rent coalition, um, have both put out toolkits relating to what you can do to contact your, uh, supervisor. Uh, it feels weird to say that, uh, your, your supervisor, your elected representative on the board of supervisors, uh, to demand that they cancel rent. Um, part of this is calling for relief for small landlords with their mortgages as well. Uh, and for nonprofit and affordable housing providers who are in need. The point here is to stop using taxpayer money to line the pockets of the corporations, which any of those rental assistance programs that they've passed in the past, sorry, that was a poor choice of words. Uh, Basically, those are all just like subsidies for landlords that go skip yeah. the tenant's pocket entirely and go straight to the landlord and give the landlord the opportunity to choose not to partake in the program uh, if they so choose. Uh, let's see. Oh, and I, I will say, the, you know, for, yeah. for anyone um, that's like, wait, why do we care about landlords? Remember, like most landlords, like small landlords, not corporate landlords. These are people with a mortgage. They're bank yep. tenants. Like the ultimate villain here is the Black Rocks the of the world and the mm -hmm. banks who are funding this industry. Like the your landlord who like my old landlord only owns like three or four buildings and they're all like leveraged to the hilt. They're making a pretty decent living when it's in boom times, but they can also collapse very quickly. And what happens when those small landlords collapse is it's not another small landlord comes in and picks up their properties. It's BlackRock comes in and picks up their properties. And then your ability to pressure your landlord goes away because BlackRock don't give a fuck. They want to evaluate you by algorithms. They want to see what your family's credit history is, yep. what your friend's credit history is, and then to deny you any place to live because they're like, oh, you know what? You hang out with people whose credit scores are like around the 600s and we just really can't trust you to, to rent one of our places. Like your credit's just not good enough to live indoors. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fucked. Um, so yeah, call in tomorrow morning, uh, County Board of Supervisors. All the contact information is available. If you go to at HealthyLA underscore COA, C -O -A, uh, you can find a toolkit there. If you go to at Cancel Rent LA, you can find some information there as well. Uh, call in, support the tenant organizers, support the uh, folks, the entire Healthy LA Coalition, which is a ton of people, and demand that the County Board of Supervisors cancel rent and protect tenants in the city in the midst of the worst 
uh, public health crisis of, you know, generations. Uh, it's fucked and I'll be live tweeting it because I'm very interested to see what happens with, uh, who's calling in and whatnot. I'm, I'm terrified of any of the, the sheriff's shills calling in, but we shall see. Um, anyway, I'll be back here on Twitch tomorrow morning at nine 30 in the morning to, uh, live yep. tweet the proceedings of that County board of supervisors meeting. Yeah. Um, and if you're, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, it'll be out around nine. So you'll have very little time but we'll go ahead and wow. throw the link into the description. <laughs> go fill out a public comment. The public digital comment for the County Board of Supervisors is really, really, really good. It's yes. actually really easy to make comment. Uh, the, the items you want are number seven, number 2D, and number 17. Uh, so seven, 2D, and 17. But let's uh, turn our attention okay. to these poor, poor engineering students who were hoping for very lucrative careers in the field of oil and gas. So Chris, Terry, uh, what do you want to take us through this? Uh, let me read the headline. Quote, a slap in the face. The pandemic disrupts young oil careers. Subhead. Students and recent graduates struggle to get hired in the oil industry as the oil industry cuts tens of thousands of jobs, some of which may never come back. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the article starts out. Sabrina Burns, a senior at the University of Texas at Austin, had thought that she would be launching a lucrative career in the oil and gas industry when she graduated in a few months. But the collapse in the demand for oil and gas during the coronavirus pandemic has disrupted her well-laid plans and is forcing her to consider a new path. Quote, we got a slap in the face, an entirely unforeseen situation that rocked our entire mindset. Yeah, try <laughs> getting a PhD in English. <laughs> ha! said Miss Burns, who was studying petroleum engineering, quote, I have applied for every oil and gas position I've seen, like all my classmates, and nothing has really turned up. I'm discouraged, end quote. Um, I love, love the fact that she said an entirely unforeseen situation that rocked our entire mindset. I mean, the pandemic was unforeseen, yes. The collapse of the entire global petro industries, not unforeseen. It's what what I love about this is the the concept of peak oil has been around for a very long time. And what peak a oil means isn't that we're like running out of oil. It means that we've gotten all the easy reserves and it's now too expensive to mine oil and still have it be affordable at a commercial and a retail level. We're way past peak oil. Like anyone who's throwing in on petroleum now is just throwing in on the long tail of that extinct dinosaur. <sighs> So, so we, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, what was it? You squirrel had said that it was uh, like becoming a blacksmith or no, Terry, you said it was like becoming a blacksmith yeah. in 1910. Uh, yep. The more apt one is the farrier because that is the horseshoe maker. Uh, blacksmiths could still make things and be useful, but farriers totally fucking useless. Once the advent of the, uh, uh, the petroleum age was upon us and cars overtook everything. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely wild. These kids are out of their goddamn minds. And I love the fact that it basically, uh, <laughs> they got yeah, I mean, owned by the Uber driver. No, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, my favorite, my favorite was that quote where the Uber driver asked her, did you ever hear of a solar panel? She recalls the yep. Uber driver asking her and her friends, the silent judgment and passing <laughs> comments weighed on me a lot. Did they weigh on you as much as the heavy metals in the, the lungs of a child who lives <laughs> along the 710 corridor? Oh, fucking it, hell. Yeah. Probably not, right? Like, oh, the, someone's going to make snarky comments. Uh, but, and 
you know, meanwhile, I'm going to go research how to how to bring more oh. fracking and more CO2 into the atmosphere, right? Like in in her in her in very meek defense of her, she did say that she was committed to uh, you know, she wanted to help the industry work to improve its environmental performance. So she and, wanted and to make by it that, a greener petro industry. And by that, what she means is helping develop concepts like renewable natural gas, which is not right. and can never be renewable. Well, or clean coal. Yeah, go ahead, Jay. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's the other thing, right? Because like BP at least is started starting to make some moves towards us, right? I mean, like other Exxon and they're all out trying to, you know, get give us gasoline. But the the renewable or the the sustainable petroleum is is plastics. I mean, like that's what they're that's what the industry is betting on because all the plastics that we're dumping into the into the ocean, um, as it passes through our food supply and everything else. Um, I mean that that still does require drilling, and so they believe that they can they can still extract without the resultant carbon uh, emissions because we won't be burning it uh, in, unless it goes to the incinerator on its way to the ocean. So, yeah, I mean, and I think this is you know um, a couple paragraphs down they they pre they um, profile like six different people here, and uh, one is uh, Mr. Uh, Zagurski. Uh, quote, but Mr. Zagurski, 23, said the oil and gas industry will bounce back just as it has many times over the last century, despite popular notions that the pandemic would permanently reduce energy consuming habits. Quote, demand is going to come back, he said. Let's be honest here. How many things in our daily lives have some kind of petroleum based product in them and completely misses the fact that the main driver of petroleum prices has been energy usage, has been gasoline jet fuel, rocket fuel, whatever the fuck you want to call it, whatever you want to use it for, it's producing energy. Plastics, to an extent, are uh, a little bit recyclable and also don't require as much demand, plus have other substitutes that you can use for them. There is plenty of other biomass out there that you can turn into plastic-like substances. When you hear Shell like advertising on Spotify that, oh, we're helping with electric vehicles, they're, they're actually not. They're trying to shoehorn their way into an industry that doesn't ultimately need them. But what they are also doing is trying to pivot towards, hey, we have a lot of knowledge about extraction. And you know what electric vehicles need? They need a fuck ton of lithium. And it takes a fuck ton of energy to get lithium out of the ground. Like to pull gold out of the ground, you create two waste streams because you only have to refine that ore twice. To pull lithium out of the ground, it creates five separate highly toxic waste streams. That means engineering those facilities. That means engineering the waste disposal. That means figuring out the fuck you do with all the toxic sludge that you produce for that battery in your Tesla that's only going to last for a decade and will cost you half the price of that car to replace. Yep. Uh, one other fun thing here to, worth noting was that they basically, the, the photographer from the New York Times is having a real fun time. Yeah. Um, There's some very nice photos. They they were so they they basically made this out to, into like a United Color to, Colors of Benetton ad, but you know for a dying petroleum industry that is destroying the planet. Um, so yeah, so the the Sabrina Burns they did a lovely uh, soft lighting shot of her gazing off into the distance, looking a bit forlorn. Uh, and then for uh, Mr. Zagurski, it's a, you know elbow on the banister in a uh, home or some building. Uh, again, looking wistfully off into the distance, wondering and co contemplating how it is that the stars have been so misaligned and have damaged him so badly. And where did everything go wrong? 
Um, but then, they, you know, they started, they got in some more diversity here um, because they were able to get uh, Miles Hampton uh, RV, yep. who's a senior at the University of Houston. Uh, they had his story in there as well. And then they also had, uh, uh, okay, I can't read the image title. It's too tiny. Let me make it bigger. Uh, <laughs> this is what I get for trying to put everything into a slideshow. Uh, yeah, Tasa uh, Nehekuri from the University of Texas at Austin. They basically just visited like two places. Uh, I mean, also had a, Texas, a degree in Texas petroleum is engineering. Pumping out. Yeah, Texas is where yes. all those companies are headquartered. That's where everyone's studying this stuff. Like, you know, you you can Texas actually you go to UC. Texas. Yeah, you can go to uh, UC Santa Barbara and study this stuff. You can go to UC Davis because a lot of oil fields in California. But like UCLA, USC, not not so much in that vein. Nope, but uh, yeah, they made sure that you knew that it's uh, that this is not just impacting white people. It is it is across the board. All of these people who were being lured into this absolutely toxic industry and sold a pack of goddamn lies. And yeah. I mean, I I on the one hand I feel bad for them, but on the other hand, it's like you are young. It's 2020. We've known about this shit for a while now. Sunrise movement, you know, took off in 2018. If you're a college student graduating in 2020 and you're not aware of the fucking green new deal and sunrise movement that you know exploded onto the scene two years ago under what fucking rock are you living and how is it that you've managed to, to just willfully ignore the writing on the wall like it's not like people were saying that climate change was a thing that we could just you know put off and deal with later we've been having you know, fucking comedians like John Oliver talking about the the impending catastrophe of climate change on very popular talk shows. Like this is not something that is, you know, hidden in the vagari the vagaries of, you know, academia. Like it's not some forbidden knowledge that is impossible to attain. You have to be willfully fucking ignorant of what is going on to think that the petroleum industry is where you need to be hitching your fucking horse in your future career. Like what the fuck? Are they thinking? I'm so mad about this. So mad. Well, they're they're only living under that rock because that's where they're gonna drill. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, there was. I think. I think my favorite line was um, when the the first woman we talked about said, you know, she got the idea from her father, who's a helicopter pilot, and so he flies a lot of oil workers out to oil derricks off the the coast in the Gulf of Mexico and stuff, you know, uh, close to Texas, and mentioned how many high earning female engineers who would meet on the oil rigs was like, hey, this is like a good job. And the fact that you're trying to turn the extractive industry into a feminist profession, that just like that extractive mindset is so antithetical to everything that feminism is fundamentally rooted in, like the yeah. girl boss mentality <laughs> and the second wave no. feminism, like the, the um, not, not Betty Friedan, um, Shit! What was the what was the woman who started the National Organization of Women? What was her name? Oh fuck! Um, I can't help you. God, she was a, she worked for the CIA. Hold on, uh, whatever that that Haskell? woman. She was, no, not Haskell. Um, it is Betty Friedan. No, not Betty Friedan. She wrote the the. Um, uh, the feminine mystique. There's another no, another woman. She she wrote three letters on a paper napkin. N O W invited fifteen women to her hotel room. This was back in 1966. No, but it's not Betty Friedan. There's another woman who still has like quite a um, uh, media personality, um, and she was a mole for the CIA. <laughs> yeah. I could I I yeah I can't remember her name, um, but she spied on communists in the 70s uh, for the CIA. Gloria Marie Steinem. 
Gloria Steinem. Thank you. Gloria fucking Steinem <laughs> and her second wave feminism absolutely destroyed whatever power gender politics could have wielded for the last several decades. Just literally turned feminism in America into you need some shoulder pads and you need to be a female CEO and you need to make a lot of money and you need to have that same toxic masculinity mindset and that's ultimately liberation. And that bullshit is literally killing the planet. So let's move on well, to our outro. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say along those same lines, it was one of one of the five or six, one of those last two that we showed it was one of the people of color that they're injecting the diversity in here. One of those, I forget which, was the example of somebody who's left the field. Oh, my God, I can't go into petroleum, so I've got to go elsewhere. And the job that he took was with J.P. fucking Morgan. So it's not like we're being given, it's not like we're being given like really positive examples by the New York Times yeah. here. You know, extraction, uh, it comes in many forms, financial above all else. But so uh, as we move on, the last thing I'll, I'll leave you all with uh, for all the, the petroleum engineering, engineering majors out there, uh, the unemployment line. It's not just for philosophy majors anymore. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's super fun. That's super fun. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we should just kind of go roll on into the uh, the pickups for this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Live tweets for city council will be resuming next week on the 12th. Um, but the live tweets for the board of supervisors uh, is tomorrow. So I'll be back tomorrow morning here on twitch.tv slash ground game LA doing the live tweets uh, starting at nine 30 in the morning. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Um, I hope. And uh, we're also going to be having knock at night on Wednesday this week. We're, we're going to have yeah. uh, a whole bunch of months. Oh, I completely forgot to pull up the logo for that. I'm so sorry. Rajudo. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but so uh, so oh, while Chris pulls that one up, uh, we're going to be doing a special justice-centered episode. We're going to be talking about George Gascon's reforms and how they're going to affect L.A. County. We're going to be having a bunch of really cool public defenders on, including Ground Game's own Ace Catano, uh, Meredith Gallen, Anna Slotkey, and John Ralphing talking about all of the different ways the Gascon's reforms in the DA's office are going to make things better, what we should make of the pushback from the DA's office, where there's still points of tension, things that we can be hopeful for, things that we still need to fight for. But this is going to be like, if you want to wrap your head around what Gascon's election means for L.A. County and for the criminal legal system across the U.S., because here in L.A., we really do set the tempo for a lot of the rest of the country with the decisions that we make politically. This is going to be a good episode to tune in. So tell your friends, Wednesday, 8 p.m., same ground game yeah. channel, same ground game time. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm going to be moderating. Uh, so y'all can show up and uh, see me as a bunch of people that are much more smart and learned than I am explain what the hell is going on here. Uh, and I'm also looking forward to another year of uh, Knock at Night. Um, we've got like a much bigger team. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. So keep tuning in. Keep helping us build this. Uh, we really appreciate each and every one of you uh, helping us make this what it is. Absolutely. So that's good. That's uh, coming up on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, very informative and should be a very interesting uh, discussion that's going on. Um, yeah, and then, uh, of course, Mutual Aid LA is still in need of donations. We are in lockdown again, even though it doesn't seem like it. it it's, I don't fucking know what to say. It's, it, things are bleak. Um, give money if you yep. can. Uh, understand if you can't, because we're living in a failed state. Um, both California and the United States as a whole and uh, shit sucks a lot and helping each other is basically the only way we're going to be able to get through any of this shit. So 
mutual aid can use your help if you can help. Um, if you're interested in volunteering, uh, they're still looking for volunteers. Uh, we help us. That's literally the only way we're going to survive. Uh, yep. Welcome to the new dystopic future that we have ahead of us. It's only going to get worse from here, folks. <sighs> and on that yeah. note. Yeah, so, but we will, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing y'all as we make our way into this new year. I'm looking forward to City Council uh, with Nithya Raman. Um, yes. And I'm excited, I'm expecting a lot of big stuff from her, from Mike Bonin. Um, we covered last week how City Council committees have changed quite a bit this year. Still got to fight against the Olympics. We still got a lot of long, long slogs in our future. But I'm starting this year hopeful. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try that this year. You know, last year I started the year hopeful. Um, we're still, we're going to try that again. You know, insanity may be like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, but God damn it. I know no other way to be. So, uh, Terry, well, Chris, I, thank you I, all I thank so much for, for joining that. me. <laughs> <laughs> One of us needs to stay positive because I'm getting burnt the fuck out on this. Uh, it's bleak. It's really bleak. Um, but I appreciate your positivity. That is something that is definitely needed. Uh, and thank you for your, for, for what you do in this, uh, Terry. Yeah. Thank, thank you, everybody. Uh, real, real quick. I mean, I know we're, we're running kind of long here. Um, my lower third right now, COVID and waiting, uh, let this be a lesson for, for everyone. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm staying with my family. I've got one friend who I've been sort of in a pod with that I would spend time with, with them and, and their family, uh, and without a mask. And, uh, yesterday that friend tested positive for COVID. So, uh, first oh, test I, I was able to get is tomorrow morning. Uh, just, just to, you know, obviously my first thought is for, for her health and well-being and her family, it is disturbing how quickly my second thought is I haven't seen her since Christmas Eve. So counting days and, and this puts us in a situation where, you know, you can't have just a simple unproblematic thought for the health and well-being of, of your friend, because immediately it's for your own health and well-being for, for the people that you live with. You know, yeah, we all want to go and have a, you know, sit inside somebody's house and, you know, have dinner or, or whatever. But it's it, it really uh, know know what the risk is, because it can happen at, uh, all of a sudden like that. And somebody's got got COVID and then and then who knows what happens. So yeah. uh, it's it's been a rough nine months, but you got to hang in there with it and, and just keep doing all the good habits. Yeah. Yeah. That, that yeah um so as always if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of please send us a message reach us through the ground game la facebook page on instagram and on twitter at ground game la uh this podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la support our work over on patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore la and of course follow us on knock.la that is k-n-o-c-k-d-o-t-l-a uh, on Twitter, that's where we do all of the fun stuff like the live tweets and publish the stories like the one that Mike Dickerson wrote that is doing real numbers today because Robert fucking Reich retweeted it with Adam Countover. Like, there, this is big. Prop 22. It's fucked. We're going to talk about that in two and a half weeks, but prepare yourselves, folks. This is the, the new corporate oligarchic bullshit that we get to deal with the yeah. gigification of everything um of course check the description of this of this podcast for sources links to actions and social media links thank you all very much for tuning in um really appreciate everyone who listens to this and uh stay safe out there
please. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.